Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers. And I'm Chris Benderev. And this is Embedded. This is our last episode about coal and jobs. So if you haven't heard the other ones, go back and listen from the beginning. All right. So remember Gary Dotson, the coal mine operator? The last time we heard from Gary, he had a big decision to make. Close down the business or invest in a bunch of expensive new equipment he would need to keep going. In one way, it just did not make sense for Gary to spend a huge amount of money on his company right now. He's still just a couple years away from 65. And the company that he has a contract with to mine the coal still does not pay him on time. But one day this spring, Gary and his two business partners walked into a bank and got a loan for more than $300,000. And they put up their own houses as collateral. Gary says he did it for one reason. Donald Trump. Because he just mentioned coal on television and everybody had a different feeling about it. Do you think you yourself, like if Obama was still in office or Hillary Clinton was in office, you yourself would be making different decisions about whether or not to go forward? I never went and bought a miner. A miner is basically the most important piece of equipment in an underground coal mine. I would have never went and bought another miner. That is a fact. (laughs) Wouldn't have even thought about it. That's how much of a difference it would have made to me. That if they would have, if one of them had been elected again, I would have already quit. So here's where we're at. Donald Trump promised to bring back the coal industry. Then he became president. And at the same time, there was this upturn in metallurgical coal, mostly because of market forces. Now a few coal mines are reopening and there are some new jobs. And some people feel like it's the president who is turning things around. And that's given some of them the confidence to take risks like Gary did. Or at least to believe that coal might actually come back. But the problem is, when you look at the bigger picture, and you talk to some of the people we've been following over the last year and a half, it is not clear if anything is going to get better in the long term. Support for NPR and the following message come from Newsy, the TV news channel with honest, in-depth context on the stories that matter. Newsy is for people who aren't satisfied with getting only the loudest part of the story. Newsy delivers more, more context, more solutions, and greater understanding of the people and events that shape our world. Learn more at newsy.com watch. This week on Latino USA, the story of the only registered Mexican-American Holocaust survivor and how he risked everything to document the horrors he witnessed inside the Berga concentration camp. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so remember when we started this whole thing, Kyle Johnson was the young guy who, against the advice of his family and friends, really wanted to work in coal. He dressed like a coal miner, watched TV shows about coal. And his best friend Isaiah told us that Kyle even took a long weekend while he was still in college just to get his miner's certification license. With no prospect of becoming a coal miner, just to get it, just because he said he wanted to have the license. He was super proud of it, too. He carried it around like he had something like some sort of club card that he could use. (laughs) 
Kyle eventually dropped out of college, and like we said, during this upturn in Met Coal, he got really serious about becoming a coal miner. He spent months looking for a job, and then more months waiting to start a job he'd been offered. And now, it's spring 2018, it's 4.30 in the afternoon, and Kyle just woke up. (laughs) There's my backup alarm. (laughs) It works. It does. That's the loudest one I got, too. It's really annoying. I really hate it. (laughs) That's what you got to have to wake up, though, sometimes. Kyle has been working the night shift at a coal mine. And you can tell. His face is pale. His eyes look really tired. He says he's lost 20 pounds. Kyle, who was too claustrophobic as a kid to get into the back of a truck, he now goes down in the hole every night. This dark cave that in some places is less than three feet high. He stuck with it longer than I thought he would. And Isaiah is pretty surprised. I had him at a month. (laughs) I really did. I didn't think he would enjoy it at all, but he stuck with it a lot longer. And when they moved into third shift, it kind of messed up our daily routine of talking. But whenever I can get a hold of him, I hate to call him sometimes because I'm like, I don't want to wake him up. But yeah, um, he still loves it, which has surprised me. He really has. So Kelly and I are at Kyle's apartment. He's exhausted. He says the night shift isn't just tough hours. It's also kind of a thankless job. The day shift guys leave a big mess, and it's Kyle's job to basically drive around this big dustpan on wheels to scoop up all the debris. Just being underground in cramped spaces where you're crawling around on your knees all day, it makes everything harder. Tasks that would normally take five minutes can take an hour down there, he says. And he says, at first, going underground was a little scary. Not a lot. You can hear, you can start hearing things. I know when we did it, I was like, what's that? Like, oh, wait, what's that, that, what's that boom? I was thinking the same things. I was like, what is this noise? And like, what is that? That doesn't look right and stuff like that. But, uh, so I was thinking all that stuff, but I just didn't say nothing to anybody. I would imagine it's not super cool to like seem Yeah, it's not. Scared. You, got, you got to play it cool. <laughs> you got to. Still, Kyle is really into being a coal miner. He's finally living out that Discovery Channel TV show that he would watch for hours and hours. Nah, I mean, I love it. I do. But Kyle, probably the one person we met who was the most excited about coal, says he's not totally sure what's going to happen in the long term. I don't really know what it's going to be like 20 or 30 years from now. I got no clue. You'd be in some real tough mining then, too, because by then, definitely all your good coal will be gone. And you're going to have to go a lot farther back in the mountain and spend a lot more money just to get it out. For it to be worth it, coal prices would have to be high. So I don't know what's going to happen, to be honest with you. I really hope it's still around, but all I can do is see, I guess. I asked Isaiah about this, too. If you imagine into the future, 10 years five years, even fewer, you know, Cole has another downturn, or for whatever reason, it's not working out in Cole for him. What do you imagine he'll do? I feel like Kyle, although he wanted to be a coal miner his whole life, there's other things Kyle could find and do well. Um, What scares me, there's, there's a whole workforce of people. There's, you know, all of Southwest Virginia that if Cole actually did ever just up and leave, there would be an entire area of people that couldn't do other things. That's what makes me the saddest is, you know, 
and it's easy for people around the country and around the world to talk about where we're from, hear our accent, I'm automatically assume they're unintelligent. They're not unintelligent people, they're extremely intelligent, but they weren't afforded the opportunities of other people and they're to understand different things. So they've known this one thing their whole life and it up and leaves. Well, what else are they gonna do? I asked this question when I talked to this economist at the University of Virginia. His name's Bill Shobe. He grew up in Appalachia. And his answer to the question, what is everyone here going to do if coal goes away, was kind of this radical idea. He says, a hundred years ago, people moved to central Appalachia to take coal out of the mountains. And now that there's less and less of a need for coal, people might need to start doing the opposite. Because it's not like a lot of new businesses are going to open up in these mountains, places that are really hard to get to. So Bill thinks the government should help young people leave and look for better jobs, give them money or grants, help them make new lives away from where they grew up. This would probably come across as pretty insensitive in a place that's built around family and tradition. But, he says, it might be the best thing. So it's our last visit to Buchanan County, Virginia, and we go back to the hotel where we always stay, the Comfort Inn, and we're surprised. Standing there, again, at the front desk, wearing the same corporate light blue polo shirt he was wearing when we met him, is Brad Pennington. Remember, Brad was the young guy who'd been working at the hotel, who thinks coal is not going to save the county, and who had big plans to get a better job and leave. And in episode three, we found out that he'd finally done it. Uh, I actually went and looked at an apartment yesterday. Yeah, he'd gotten a job stocking Pepsi in grocery stores and got that apartment in a town about an hour away. But now he's back at the Comfort Inn, and he's not looking happy. So what happened at Pepsi? Like, what happened? Um, my direct supervisor... Brad says he and his boss did not get along. His boss would criticize little mistakes, things Brad didn't think should be such a big deal, but... With me, it was a fireball offense, you know. Eventually, Brad's boss called him into the office and told him that he was getting canned. So then, Brad panicked. Remember, after two years of trying, he had finally made it out of his parents' house, out of the county, got his own place with his girlfriend. A place, though, that has rent and heat and water and gas and cable and internet and food for the kitten that they just adopted. He needs a job, immediately. So on the drive home from Pepsi after getting fired, he calls up the Comfort Inn. And even though it is a place that he does not want to work, he asks if he can get his job back. I got fired on a Tuesday, and by Tuesday night I was working here. I'd go to Walmart and work if I knew I could pull enough hours to cover my bills, but that's the problem with Walmart. There's no guarantee you're going to pull 20 hours, let alone 36 hours. I'm not going to work under that uncertainty. i got too many bills to pay. And did you have to take a pay cut to come back here? Oh, big time. I make less now than I did when I quit because I quit and come back. Brad is making less than he was when we met him a year ago, and he's doing the same job. His girlfriend, who works at a supermarket, pays for groceries. Because I can never afford it, you know. I'm tapped out paying the rent and my truck payments. And then I buy gas for both our cars. So and that's and that so you can cover all that stuff, like you said. But it's it's the, it's the skid of our teeth, basically. Okay. I mean, it's 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 getting tough. Really? To this point, yeah. Are there have there been times recently you really oh, really yeah. worried? And oh worried? yeah, a lot of times. What does that feel like or sound like or look like or? It's not fun. 
it's not fun. I'm sorry. I'm okay. <laughs> I still like thinking about it. It just is. It's tough. I mean, I make uh, I make less than eight dollars an hour here, so still uh, less than. And that kind of stuff just gets to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I'm on, I was doing good. Which is still am. But not as good. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover Card. You check your email or social media all the time, but Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. Ever get to Friday, look back on the week, and say to yourself, what just happened? I'm Sam Sanders. Check out my podcast, It's Been a Minute, where every Friday we catch up on the news and the culture of the week and try to make sense of it all. Listen on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcast. All right, we're back. And at this point, it's been a couple months since Brad came back to the front desk at the Comfort Inn. And he spent that time desperately searching, sometimes interviewing, for better jobs. Meet a reader for the power company, cable guy. Those didn't work out. But then, this one did. Thank you for calling. This is Brad. May I get the account number or the phone number you were contacting us about today? It's at a call center. All right. And for security-related issues, can I get the... Call center jobs are actually the kinds of jobs that people in the area like to point to as a possible replacement for coal. But this job pays ten twenty-five an hour. It's a lot more than the front desk at the hotel, but a lot less than a coal job, if you can get it. The other thing is, Brad still has the apartment about an hour away, so he's commuting back to his home county for this job. But he says he's happy about the pay. The extra cash will help him save enough money to go back to college one day. And going to college, he's decided, is the only way to get out of Buchanan County for good. There's a lot of people that are just like, no, I'm not doing it. I'll, I'll work some $10 an hour job for the rest of my life. And then, you know, you got people like me that are just like, you know, I want more than this. i got to have something that's going to both sustain my lifestyle and give me the ability to enjoy my life. And working... $10-an-hour jobs at Comfort Inn, Pepsi, wherever, it's not going to happen. In the year and a half we spent going to Central Appalachia, we talked to a lot of people who were trying to figure out what to do. And I always think about this one guy we met, James. James grew up in a trailer on this hollow. That's a windy road that goes up the mountain. And at the bottom of the hollow was this place. It's called a coking oven. 
It's basically where they heat coal to really high temperatures. And when they do that, there is this huge plume of white smoke that comes out, like as big as a tall building. At night, you can see it from miles away. And growing up, James told me that the kids in his hollow called this place the Cloudmaker. And that a lot of them wanted to work at the Cloudmaker. Because to them, it was something that had been there all their lives. And they figured it would be there forever. A job in coal. A way to live the American dream. Graduate high school, get the job, the house, the car, the family. Just like their parents and grandparents. This is why we wanted to tell these stories. Because who doesn't want some version of this dream, right? And who thinks it's fair that our economy can no longer make that dream come true for people? Not just in coal, but in a lot of industries. This guy I'm talking about, James, did get a job at the Cloudmaker. Then he lost it. Lost the house, the car, the first wife. And now he lives back in that same hollow where he grew up. It's about 9.15 at night, and Kyle is driving away from his apartment in his Dodge Ram. He's changed into his starched new uniform with an embroidered name tag and those reflective orange stripes down the side. The company pays for the uniforms, and they wash them, which is a bigger deal than you might think. A lot of people tell us that a dirty miner's uniform can clog and kill your washing machine. Once Kyle's on the road, he pulls out his phone from the cup holder and scrolls till he finds the right playlist. Let's see what we got here. Usually just rock to some bluegrass, whatever comes on the old shuffle here. I'm trying to get myself a little bit excited to work. There's a possible. Tell me more about that. What do you mean, like, you gotta get excited? You know, just wake myself up a little bit. I try to get excited about work, kind of amped up, you know. I'm ready to go in and get as much done as possible all the time. I'm all about production. That's what I like to do, is try to get as many things done as possible. Driving fast down these twisting back roads with Kyle, with his favorite music playing, I can't help but think about something Kyle said to me back when we first met, about his first trip to a mine as a kid. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought, oh, this is what I want to do. I've been hooked ever since, but uh, I guess I was just born at the wrong time. But now, with this upturn in coal, he feels like it might be the right time, even if it doesn't last forever. Kyle says, for him, it's all about being able to stay in the place that he loves. I'd been in enough places to know I didn't want to be anywhere else. These are the best people in the world right here. I'm totally convinced about that. It's, it's not an easy life here for most people, but I think it's about the best life you can have nowadays. It's about 11 o'clock when we pull up to the mine. Kyle tells me he's going to walk up to this shed that they use as their locker room. He'll put on his headlamp, his boots, and the guys will all gather around, and then before they go in, they'll pray. What is the prayer usually like? Uh, we got a boy named Eric who does it. He's, uh, every night, he just keep us all safe, you know, watch out for all the other shifts and let us be safe, productive, no one get hurt, really. Make us all, let us make it all back home to our families. It's around 9.30 in the morning when Kyle walks out of the mine. 
On the drive home, once he gets a signal, he calls his mom. They only talk for a few minutes. It's enough time for Kyle to tell her that he made it out okay. Again. Okay, like we said, this is the last of our episodes about coal and jobs in the first year and change of Donald Trump's administration. Before we go, we're going to get caught up on a few people. Remember Jenny and Justin from the first episode? He's actually in the coal mining industry. Yeah, for about eight years. And I'm a nurse. (laughs) They were really worried that Hillary Clinton was going to get elected and coal would disappear. If we don't have coal, we'll have to move. I mean, we won't be in this area. There's nothing left here, you know. That's one of the things that this whole county and southwest Virginia's thrived on coal. Without coal, we, we ain't got anything, really. Well, they decided to stay. Justin is still working in coal and making a little more money at it. For now. Gary, who you heard at the beginning, is actually pretty bummed out these days. The company he has a contract with to mine coal is paying him less and less of what they owe him. He thinks he might even have to stop work for a month just to get caught up. All of his guys will have to go on unemployment. Derek from episode four is still saving money to move to California. He says he's got more than $1,000 in a shoebox. And we are told they just had a great Memorial Day reunion in Lynch, Kentucky. Wish we could have been there. Okay, so before I start the credits, I just want to say a huge thank you to Lisa Pollock who did so much to help these episodes get into the world. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, here goes. These episodes were reported and written by Chris Benderev and me. They were produced by Chris, Lisa Pollock, and Noor Wazwaz. They were edited by Lisa and mixed by Chris and Noor. We also had editing help from Neil Carruth, Tom Dreisbach, Neva Grant, Jennifer Ludden, and Mark Memmott. Fact-checking by Greta Pittenger. Our lawyer is Ashley Messenger. Our theme song is by Colin Wamsgans. Other original music is by Ramtin Arablui. Big thanks to Taylor Kirkendall from S&P Global Market Intelligence for coal jobs data. You can see photographs by Carol Guzzi of the people in these cool stories at npr.org. Thanks also to Benny Becker, Joe Trotter, Bill Turner, Bill Show, Ruth Sherlock, Joe Street, Rima Keen, Susan Stancil, Karita Brown, Elizabeth Catt, Chris Dillo, Tony Matney, Tom McLaughlin, Kate Larkin, Elizabeth Barrett, and Roger May. Embedded is executive produced by Anya Grundman, Chris Turpin, and me. That's it for the Cole Stories. We will be back soon with more Embedded. Meantime, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reach out on Twitter at NPR Embedded. That's all. Thanks.